Hi, this is Father Bill here in Austin, Texas. I am an alcoholic in long-term recovery, also an Episcopal priest, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Um, Hope you visited our website. It's called Two-Way Prayer, and I got interested in that, uh, I guess, about 28 years ago now, uh, studying the history of AA and finding out that they were doing a form of prayer that uh, had totally eluded me. I was 20 years sober at the time and had never heard about it. And it truly changed my life. Um, just did a web uh, recording of this on, a, on our uh, podcast uh, for a workshop I did in Louisiana. Had 150 people turn up uh, for that a uh, month or two ago. And um, boy, it's just uh, bringing people alive. And, and that's what... Uh, what I'm interested in is uh, how do you how do you help people make recovery exciting, and I think and that's what this episode is going to be about. We're doing this series on uh, Carl Jung and AA. Uh, it's a little bit outside of my comfort zone, but uh, I'm trying not to let that stop me because uh, I want to go into some areas that uh, don't get talked about much in meetings, and you know, Doctor. Dr. Bob said, you know, don't mess this thing up with a lot of Freudian stuff and all that good stuff. So AA is spiritual, and but, but you know, most of us have also done a lot of inner work, psychological work, in-depth work. Uh, if, you, if you're going to stick around for a long time and get beyond some of the basics, you're going to have to go inside and, and find places... Uh, deep within ourselves that need to be explored. And, and that's what I want to do in this, this series. Uh, we started the first one on uh, Wil- Wilson writing his letter to Carl Jung. He had been uh, uh, sober some 25, 30 years, and he felt like he owed a debt to Jung. And so Wilson wrote a letter uh, in, in uh, I think it was 1960, and expressed to him some of the history of of the role that Jung had played in the foundations of Alcoholics Anonymous, particularly through a man by the name of Roland Hazard. And he told him what what had happened to Roland, how he had been a patient of his, um, and and yet he failed. He uh, relapsed after after having spent some time uh, with the great psychiatrist. He failed. And then he went back to Jung, and Jung sent him on a spiritual journey. He said to him, I can't help you anymore, uh, but alcoholics of your type uh, can sometimes respond to a, a deep psychic change, a spiritual experience of the very deepest nature. And, and what he was talking about there was uh, a change at depth, um, and, and that brings us to the subject of this podcast, uh, which is on uh, the unconscious. I want to I want to explore a little bit of what the unconscious is, the role that it plays first in the illness, and then in some later um, episodes, the place that the unconscious plays in our recovery, and most specifically in our two way prayer. Um, so we, we will get to that, but, um, so there's, there goes Roland. He's been sent on a, on a mission to 
find uh, recovery through spiritual practices. And, and he joins the Oxford group wherein he, uh, he does become sober and, and, um, and, and opens himself up to, to an experience of the sacred, let, let's call it, where the sacred can enter his life and change, change it. Um, so, um, uh, you know, the, with the unconscious, uh, there, there's a lot of um, talk about, about alcoholism uh, being a brain chemistry illness. And I, I buy into a lot of that. But if you follow Jung, uh, you're going you're gonna to see that he's not just talking about the brain. He's talking about the mind. And the big book says that our problem is in the mind. Now, the brain chemistry stuff opens us up to, to become addicts, that uh, the dopamine and all of those factors, they play a role. And, and I'm a strong believer in that, um, that, that, that that's, that's part of the physical allergy that the big book talks about. But what has always interested me a lot more than the physical allergy, I mean, to me, either you got it or you ain't. And, you know, you, you drink and try to, try to drink successfully enough, and that's how you determine whether you got it or not, that it, it triggers that reaction inside. But much greater interest is, is people like myself and, and perhaps yourself who have tried getting sober. We wanted to not drink. And yet, this is where the second part of that illness came in, and that was the obsession of the mind. So the big book says the problem is in the mind, not in the brain, but in the deeper parts of the mind. And this is, this is where Jung, I think, comes into play, uh, to, to, to find an access into that, those deeper recesses of the mind and to see what is going on there. Now, uh, the discovery of the unconscious is, is only about 100 years old. I mean, it's not much older than AA itself. It was, you know, back in 08, 10, 15, in, in those years when, when Freud and Jung were working together, that they began to discover there's another whole part of the mind. And, and Jung said, you know, he, he had like two personalities. Personality number one, which uh, acted in one manner, and personality number two, he labeled it, a very different personality. Um, one that, uh, in his case, uh, really wanted him to become whole, wanted more for him. Um, it was that, I would call it God consciousness. He calls it the self, but it's, it's that part of us uh, that is deep inside that we access, I believe, through two-way prayer. So, so what, what Jung, Jung made a statement that I kind of like. He said, uh, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Unless, until you make the unconscious conscious. It will direct your life, and you will call it fate. Now, in, in my, my own 
meager studies of, uh, of the unconscious, uh, it's obvious it's 90, 95% of our mind is unconscious. And this is, let's start with the addiction part. This is where the restless, irritable, and discontent starts to really manifest itself in, in, in moods, in emotions, in, uh, in, in voices uh, that, uh, that come to me and, and direct me and, um, and take me places I, 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 shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't go. Let, let, let's look at this in terms of the, and I, this is the way I approach it, uh, the meaning of unmanageability. See, to me, unmanageability has always meant the obsession of the mind, that that part of the mind, which is unconscious, uh, that is driving me back to doing the very thing that I don't want to do. Uh, Paul said, Paul must have been an addict. Uh, St. Paul you know, said, uh, the good that I would do, I do not do. The evil that I would not do, I do. Who will save me? from this madness. See? I mean that's that's that step one. That 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 experience of unmanageability. That that uh, there are voices, there are there's a part of my mind that's self-destructive. Some people look at alcoholism as a slow form of suicide. And I, I think you can make a really good case for that for for any uh, addiction that this addiction stuff is killing me. Um, and a part of me wants to live personality, number one. Part of me wants to, wants to die, personality two. Um, a way that I found really helpful to introduce people to this, and that's what I want to do in this particular episode. I hope it works um, because it's, a, it's kind of a stretch, but I'm going to do it anyway. But for, for many years, when I was a, an alcohol and drug counselor, uh, I did, I did a, um, an exercise, and I called it the empty chair. It was based on some of the work of Fritz Perls. And, and I, I kind of added to it over the years as I did it, saw what was successful, what, what helped people the most. Uh, and, and so what I, what I want to do in this, uh, in this episode is... is, is give you an experience of that. Uh, and I hope you got a pretty good imagination because I'm going to call upon you to, to use that imagination. So um, what, what I would do is um, I, I would choose somebody who had been in treatment for maybe about three weeks or so, so that they had uh, turned a corner, were doing well, uh, had made some relationships with people in in the treatment center, in the group that they that they were with, that they had started to open up a little bit. So I'd call uh, a volunteer up, and I would have two chairs in in the middle of the room. We'd, we'd form a circle around the person, and I would ask uh, first. I'd ask, "Has he got a good imagination?" And uh, I'd say, "Well, can you can you imagine seeing uh, an elephant over there?" On the side of the room, he's, he's, he's purple and he's got a green umbrella in his hand. Can you imagine that in your mind? And uh, if, if he says yes, I say, okay, well, th then you can do this exercise. And what I want you to imagine is that sitting across from you in that empty chair is your addiction. 
And you know, it and, and it might be it might be heroin. It, it might be uh, a syringe. It might be a bottle of uh, Johnny Walker. It might be a bottle of Ripple or a a balance. You know, whatever 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 the beer might might be. Whatever the drug of choice was. I I want you to imagine that. And I want you to imagine that it's sitting there in front of you as if it were a person. So put a face on it. Put a body to it. And have it sitting there, okay, directly across from you. So we're we're sitting about uh, 10 inches, uh, maybe a foot uh, away from the other chair. And then what I would direct the individual to do is I'd say, okay, Joe, I want you to talk to that bottle. Let's let's say he was an alcoholic. I want you to talk to that bottle. And I want you to tell him three things. First, I want you to tell him what he did to you. Who got hurt? All right? Who got hurt? Um, Well, I I, I apologize. Let let me me back up one. Uh, first, First, in telling him what he did for you. Yeah, that was that's the first one. What did he do for you? How'd you make me feel? The good stuff. All right. Uh, how 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 when when I used you, I was able to do things that I couldn't do, feel things that I couldn't feel before, uh, be somebody that I uh, uh, fr- just freed me up. You know, talk to him like that. So do that first. Second part. Uh, is is what he did to you, who got hurt, who suffered. And I always insisted that they name the people who got hurt. And 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 I would always kind of put my hand on their stomach and say, feel it, feel it, all right? Feel who got hurt. Um, and then the third part of the exercise was to tell the bottle, uh, where he goes in your life. And, and so, uh, you know, and you can kind of do this in your own, in your own imagination, what, what it did for you, the euphoric recall, the, whew, man, you just, you just feel the energy, the freedom, uh, uh, the, the excitement that, that that drug brings into my life. I mean, we light up with our chemicals. They light us up. And that's part of the brain chemistry deal. I, I, I believe that part, eh? Um, they light us up. Um, so he talks and tells him, hey, you did this for me. You made me feel this. You made me feel that. And I really love that. You were my friend. You were my buddy. You were, you were always there for me. When nobody else was there for me, you were there for me. All right? Let him talk like that for a while. And then we do the switch. Uh, what did he do to you? And now the mood shifts. And, 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 and what's starting to happen here is the unconscious is starting to go to work. All right? This, this, is, this, is, this is an exercise in helping somebody to really get in touch with the unconscious elements that are at, are at work in addiction. Who, who got hurt? Images come to mind. Some children. And I say, you know, Joey got hurt. All right? Michael got hurt. Maria got hurt. My mother got hurt. 
Feel it, feel it, feel it. Invariably, they get to themselves. I got hurt. Feel that. All right? Feel that. The third part of the exercise is, is when I then tell them to uh, talk now to the bottle and tell him where he or she is in your life. Sometimes, particularly with heroin addicts, I, I find some real sexy stuff going on there. It's, it's like, she's, she's my lover. You know, but tell tell him or her uh, where they're at in your life right now. And generally, they'll say things like, "Get the hell out of here!" You know, you've screwed me up. I'm done with you. Our, our relationship is over. Get out. Get out. And as soon as they are really feeling that and getting into some of that emotion, I'll then ask them to change places. And they get up, and, and, and they then take the chair uh, that was filled by the, the drug. And I ask them then to assume the personality of the addiction. Become the bottle. Become the syringe. Become the line, the line of cocaine, whatever it might be. Become that. Feel it. Feel the energy coming in. Feel the power coming in. All right? Joe just told you, get the hell out of my life. You're gone. I'm done with you. What do you say to Joe? He might start with something like bullshit. All right? Something tough. Oftentimes tougher than that. But this is a family program. <laughs> so, so, they'll scream... I'll scream something at him. And then taking on the personality of the drug, talk back to Joe. Hey, you little nothing. You want to quit me? <laughs> hey, you've done this before, haven't you? You've quit me 30 times before. You've been in treatment before. All right? You sound good. But I get you in the end, don't I? I always get you. You always come back to me. Because I'm there. I'm patient. I'm waiting. All right? I'll talk to the bottle and say, when are you going to get Joe? When he's lonely. When he's, when he, when he's got about six months under his belt. And he, and he, and he, and he thinks he's doing good. And he doesn't, he doesn't need help. You know? He doesn't need help. When he gets some money in his pocket. But he's restless, irritable, discontent. Bored, bored. You've always been bored when you're sober. I got some excitement here. Whoa. Joe starts feeling the power. All right. Are you going to get him? I'll say to the bottle. You're damn right I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. Okay, Joe, switch places again. And Joe gets up, leaves the bottle personality and goes back and, and, and becomes himself. Whoa. And he starts to feel now the, the depth of where the addiction, the madness, the insanity of, of alcoholism, drug addiction, really resides. You know, it's in him. You know? The, the, the addiction is deep within his own mind.
And this is the battle that we are engaged in. I give them an opportunity to, to go back and forth. And we do this two or three times. You know? Uh, become the bottle. Become, become Joe. Back, back and forth a couple of times. Uh, and each time, the power of the bottle, the power of the drug becomes more and more obvious. And, and, and so many times, uh, Joe will then break down and he's in tears. He's desperate. He's back where Roland was, you know. Uh, he's hopeless and he's feeling the hopelessness. And at that point, I ask him, Joe, do you need help? Yes, I need help. Is there anyone in the room can help, who, who can help you? And I ask him to look around the room. Look at the faces of the people he's been in treatment with. Or you look at the face of the, of the people you've been in group with or, or whomever it is that might be in a position to help you. All right? And then I say, ask them. Ask them. Will you help me? Michael, will you help me? And I make him say the words because it's really important that, 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 that they verbalize it, all right? That you're making conscious what is unconscious, see? That, that's what Jung said to do, make conscious what is unconscious. So the desperation is now made conscious. Help me, please help. Will you help me? Guy has a choice. He either gets up or he doesn't. And then what I, what, I, what I tell the guy to do who comes up is I want you to just put, put your hand on Joe in some way. Touch his shoulder. All right? All right? No words. No words. I just want feelings. I just, I just want you to feel yourself giving Joe the help. And I want Joe to feel the help coming through you. And I'll ask them both, can you feel that? Yes. Yes, they can. All right, who else can help you? Jimmy, will you help me? Say the words. Will you help me, Jimmy? Yes. Jimmy comes up, touches him, touches him. Get three or four or five other people. Say the words. Have them come up. Feel the feelings. All right? Perhaps there's someone in the family who can help. Your wife could she help you? Yes, ask her. And have somebody pretend that they're the wife. Come up, put a hand on his shoulder, put a hand on his arm, all right? Feel the feeling. Do you have a sponsor? Yeah, I do. Could, could you call on him to help you? Chuck, would you help me? Would you be Chuck? Chuck comes up, someone playing Chuck, <coughs> hand on his, on his knee, body's getting, body's getting filled up, <laughs> not too many more places that, to touch. You believe in God? Yes, I do. And I say the words, God, would you help me? Say them out loud, God, would you help me? Get somebody to come up from the group and you be God, <laughs> just for a moment. Put your hands on his head, put your hands on Joe's head. All right? And feel the power going from your hands right through to his head. All right. Can you feel that? Yes. 
Yes. Okay. All right. Now, I ask the group to step back a little bit. Okay? So that Joe can see the bottle. The bottle that was that was so much bigger and so much more powerful than he to look at it. And then using my hand, I say, Joe, how big is this bottle right now? Right now at this moment, how big is it? And I begin to take my hand and put it down, bring it down. So instead of being, you know, three feet or four feet off the chair, it's now two feet, one foot. You tell me when to stop. When's the, what's the size of that, of that bottle right now? And, and damned if it doesn't get down to two, three, four inches tall. And then I ask him, what chance, what chance does this bottle have of getting to you right now? Because five minutes ago, it had you by the ass. <laughs> you know, it, it was so much more powerful than you are. All right? But right now, right now, what chance does it have of getting to you? And invariably they say, none. None. And people in the group are off, often crying. Uh, people are think, thinking of themselves, their own addictions, how, how they're sitting in that chair too. And, uh, and tremendously, tremendously moving experience, right? Uh, using what? Using imagination. Going where? Going deep inside. This, this, is, this is what we call inner work. Uh, going, going down to the depths. Getting beyond the surface of the mind. Uh, you know, the, that iceberg is, is 90, 95% underwater. Okay? That little part that's showing is only 5%. The power is in that 95% that's underneath. That's what you got to experience. And that's where the addiction uh, really lies. That's where that's the part of the mind that really needs to be healed. So, um, so recovery, recovery is making conscious what has been unconscious. And, and for me, it really started in the negative of make, oh my God, this alcohol has such a hold on me. You know, it, ha it has me. It has me. It's more powerful than I am. I need help. I need help. And, and that, and that <laughs> brings about what? Uh, surrender at, at, at a very deep level. Um, ego deflation at depth. Is, is what what they call it, ego deflation. The puffed up ego that thinks it against the bottle has a chance, doesn't have a chance. Not if you're a real alcoholic. You know, some people can quit, some people can moderate, but if, if, if you're in the category of the real alcoholic who's tried this thing and failed, what Jung said is you need a psychic change a, a, a spiritual experience of the deepest nature that begins the process, okay, of opening you up, killing the, the self, the old self, and creating a new one. And, and, and 
for us, I think it starts with uh, that 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 land between steps one and steps two. We we don't have a, a name for it. Step one and a half. It, it's it's where you move from hopelessness to hope. You know, and the darker it is, uh, the more powerful even the smallest bit of light may be. So. Um, so this is kind of the negative side of, of the unconscious, that, that there's, some, there's, some, there's some deep stuff down there, and if we don't get a hold of it, it's going to get a hold of us. I mean, that's my belief. Uh, when I started uh, getting honest that a part of me wants to drink, a part, of me, a part of me feels this, a part of me feels that, a part of me thinks this is all BS, you know, start getting honest with that stuff, then you start making some progress, all right? As long as you're being dishonest, you're not going to go go too far. So um, in, in the next episode, I, I want to kind of go in a little bit deeper uh, on 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 how this struck we're structured, how the unconscious is structured, and how it is we can go ahead and make it conscious. So uh, hope this thing has has been helpful for you. It's, it kind of went in a direction that uh, taking a little risk there, but um, I, I, I hope I hope it helped. So. Um, Go to the website, check us out. Uh, love to hear from you. You can write to me at twowayprayer at gmail.com. God bless. Keep coming back. Don't take that first drink. Bye-bye.